1: Welcome to Travel First with Chris Coleman and Alex First. Well, thanks very much for coming along on the journey on Travel First. My name is Alex First and with me, as usual, we're going to have another look at Hobart where we were in the last podcast, Chris Coleman. G'day, Chris.
0: Greetings to you, Alex. We have only but scratched the surface of the Tasmanian capital. We have indeed
1: an Tourism Tasmania helped me out a great deal in terms of seeing things. We only had three or four days, my wife and I. We spent uh, some nights in different forms of accommodation. The Henry Jones Art Hotel I've already spoken in glowing terms about. We also stayed at the Salamanca Inn. We did a lot of food and wine things because there's that to do, and Tassie is a magnificent place to visit. Hobart, of course, being the capital, and we're not too far away, as we said, from the Sydney to Hobart yacht race and Constitution Dock and people gathering in great numbers down there. One place that people should see, if you have not already and probably go and visit a second time, you can say that about both of the places I'm about to talk about, Port Arthur being one and Mona, the Museum of Old and New Art, being another. So Port Arthur, well, 165,000 convicts were sent to Australia from 1788 the 1850s about 140,000 of that 165 were men primarily they came from the UK Ireland and Scotland but also from Canada and Africa seven and a half thousand ended up at Port Arthur which opened as a penal colony I'm trying to say penal colony in 1830 and it closed 47 years later But you couldn't end up in Port Arthur if you'd simply been transported from England. You had to have committed a second crime in Australia first. Did you know that history? I I, I did
0: know that. And and Port Arthur, it's renowned for being a place where some pretty nasty people wound up.
1: Well, it, it was nicknamed Hell on Earth by virtue of the brutal punishment that was handed out there. Having said that, the youngest boy at Port Arthur was only nine and the eldest man in his late 80s some men returned for their crimes as many as six times. And up to the 1850s, if they transgressed while in prison, they were subject to up to 100 lashes at a time with the cat of nine tails. Right? So, wow, horrible. And thereafter, physical punishment was replaced with psychological torture as they built a separate prison and locked up those that did wrong inside the prison in total silence for 23 hours a day. And even in that one hour they were allowed out, they weren't allowed to see any other prisoners. So that is certainly mental torment. Mm. Incidentally, in those days you were considered criminally responsible at the age of seven and you could be executed from the age of eight. Now, amidst the brutality of Port Arthur, it also served as a trade school, like, like a big TAFE college, where prisoners became skilled stonemasons and carpenters and dockyard workers. So a visit to Port Arthur allows you to view more than 30 historic buildings or, or the remains thereof and to take one of many different guided tours, including a ghost tour, to learn about the antecedents of the place. Really quite fascinating. And the day we went, It looked like a real picture with the ocean on one side, lush green hilly surrounds with mature trees throughout and just beautiful surroundings. Of course, there's the memorial to the 35 people who died and dozens of others injured in the Port Arthur massacre that took place on Sunday, the 28th of April 1996. There's a pool of water surrounded by solemn words and a simple cross containing the names of the 35 victims. It's all been done extremely tastefully. You could quite easily spend a full day taking in all that the site has to offer. Mm. You also take a, well, you can take a 25-minute boat ride into the bay to see where just over 1,100 prisoners were buried on what's called the Isle of the Dead. We did that, right? So it's about oh, nearly 100 kilometres away from Hobart, so take you about an hour, oh, about an hour and a half by car. And so I reckon Port Arthur, well worth a visit was arguably the highlight of our trip to Tasmania. About a quarter of a million people visit Port Arthur annually and it's open from 8.30am daily. So go if you want to find out more, go to portarthur.org.au, portarthur.org.au. When were you last there at Port Arthur?
0: Oh, it's been a long time since I was at Port Arthur, so I'm probably well and truly overdue for another check of it out. Yeah,
1: absolutely, and just—I mean, it's—it's it's hard to believe when you when you're sort of looking over it, and you, you talked about the Scottish moors, etc. Last time, it was just one of those picturesque days that the green grass was so green, and the ocean behind really quite something spectacular. Hard to believe, although it's not when you see see the uh, the remnants of of what was done to the prisoners that it was—it's it, got such a a nasty history, if you know what I mean.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: Now, Mona, have you been to Mona or not?
0: I didn't go to Mona and we we chose not to because we knew it was the kind of place, if we were going to go there, we're going to need to spend a whole day there and we had but a day in in Hobart. So uh, we, we have elected to defer Mona till another trip.
1: Fair and reasonable. Well, if you are not from Tasmania, it is well, well worth a visit. If you are from Tasmania, I dare say you're going to have dibs on how many times you go and visit because it's that sort of place. Three-storey museum of old and new art. It's located within the Marilla Winery, about fifteen to twenty minutes by car from Hobart. Otherwise, you can get there by fast catamaran. There's a way to go. That's
0: a great way it's, to go.
1: Yeah. Largest privately funded museum in Australia, built by multimillionaire David Walsh, who made his money from online gambling. I mean, he used to. He was he was brilliant with the cards and brilliant with the numbers and memory, etc., etc and he's described the museum as a subversive adult Disneyland. Just words that you would, yeah, I reckon they're perfect for you, Chris. <laughs> and it, it, I mean, it really, I, I, I reckon Mona and you would have a love affair. The museum presents antiquities, modern and contemporary art. It was officially opened in January, 2011. Houses more than 500 artistic works from David Walsh's private collection called Mononism, right, as in Mona. Mononism. <laughs> now, notable amongst them are Sidney Nolan's snake. It's 12, that's 1,620 images, snake, uh, displayed publicly for the first time in Australia. And th- there's quite a number of others that may mean something to some but probably won't mean a lot to others. There's a, um, there's a machine which turns food into excrement,
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, because that's yes. what every installation should ever have.
1: Absol- well, I said it, it's got the bizarre, <laughs> it's got the ridiculous, yes, it's got all of that. And there, now, this really got to me. Remnants from a suicide bomber cast in dark chocolate.
0: Yeah, okay. okay. That's probably going a little bit far for mine.
1: A simulated suicide machine, a laptop and It takes you through what's happening in your body in three and a half minutes. Yeah, disasters of war, which features genitalia mutilated soldiers, an ugly transgender woman. Uh, it just it just goes on. It ju- you, you you've not seen anything like this. And Walsh's private collection, by the way, I mentioned this is five hundred artistic works. His private collection extends to more than 2,000 pieces, so you can see only a quarter of these at any one time until the collection is turned over. What I've just described is what we saw when we went there, and this is going back a little bit of time. So apart from Walsh's private collection, there's another exhibition which we saw on the bottom level which was titled Theatre of the World, and that featured more than 450 works mixing two disparate collections one from the Tasmanian Museum and Art Gallery and then Mona's own. Now when you enter, you can take an iPhone that contains details of every exhibit because unlike other art galleries, there are no descriptions or names next to the artworks themselves. So there you go, take your iPhone and that's how you can find out more about what is on display. Now, if Walsh is out to shock, he's certainly succeeded, Chris, as I can. I, I think you were
0: over the Well, I'm sort of at the point where I don't know what to say at this point, Alex.
1: Yeah, I can understand. Well, there were works that appeared dedicated to butchery and depravity. And then I saw a Picasso next to modern photos. No fanfare, just there on the wall alongside all the other exhibits. Well, why not? Yeah. Yeah, okay. well, I mean, yeah. Well, if you, you know, you go and see the Mona Lisa, there's a bit of pageantry right i mean just in terms of entry and and so on. no no it's just it's just hanging there right there you've got it there's a picasso some outside exhibits as well for example a cement truck in rusted steel it is really i know that might not sound special it is mighty impressive right you got to see the cement stu- truck rusted steel in rusted steel it's also got mona has also got a beautiful restaurant and the architectural significance of the site wasn't lost on me either quite something in terms of its architecture and you know that's one of the things that I particularly enjoy about visiting Europe the architecture I love I love England for example I I think it's stunning and I and France and Vienna and all these other great European capitals its own architecture Mona quite special so uh you've got that and uh it's been a rip-roaring success It, it is effectively the number two tourist attraction in Tasmania behind the Salamanca market in its first year it attracted nearly 400,000 visitors right i mean that's just amazing right that that's that's how popular it is and people come from overseas just to see it and there look when we were there there was a special event happening in conjunction with the Tasmanian symphony orchestra and it was called now i'll try and pronounce this correctly synesthesia synesthesia.
0: That's pretty close. Yeah, that'll do.
1: It means joined sensation Mm. so that music's not only heard, but seen, tasted or felt as a physical touch. It was three and a half years in the making because they have very special things at Mona and there was a series of performing musical artists, soloists, piano duets, small chamber groups, a 40-strong orchestra, a 60-piece chorus wrapped around the stairwell at the Mona, complete with special lighting and food. Now, there you go, a two-day treat for the senses. So this was a really bold undertaking involving artists such as Meow Meow and Brian Ritchie and, and so on and David Nuttall, to name but three. And among the creative directors of this particular piece, Lyndon Terracini from Opera Australia, Simon Rogers from the Tasmanian Symphony Orchestra, and Brian Ritchie, who I just mentioned. So, look, there's – and and this was just then. Whenever you go, there's something special happening at Mona. One of the most amazing art galleries, and I've seen many of them around the world. Boy, oh, boy, he's done something that – well. I I just don't know what was in his mind – but he's clearly a man who has got an imagination. Let's put it that way. Go to mona.net.au to find out more about it. Go down and visit Tassie. Go especially to Hobart. It's a grand place to visit. You're not going to be overrun by people, as I've mentioned, <laughs> unlike the city that I live in. And yeah, especially indeed, Hobart, brilliant place. Check it out. Go to. Well, you can go to Tourism Tasmania, find out a little bit more about places that I might not have yet spoken about, and no doubt we'll be back there in the future and I'll talk to you more about the wonderful, glorious Tasmania.
0: Now, Alex, 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 you realise that Mona's not going to be for everyone, don't you?
1: Well... Yes, but I mean, what is? Well, hang on. What is for everybody?
0: I, no, no. I, no I, I just thought. I just thought what I would do is because we didn't have time to visit Mona when we were there, but we did take in the Tasmanian Museum and Gallery, which is in the centre of Hobart. Ah, oh, yes. Go, go uh, for it. And and it has uh, it has an amazing number of collections. The thing that took that, that, that blew me away, uh, and mm. I didn't realise this. The, the, the Tasmanian climate. As you know, it is cooler, of course, than the rest of Australia, being located further south. Did you know that it actually helps to contribute to the preservation of photographs? I'm not at all surprised by that. So uh-huh. that means that the photographic collection in the Tasmanian Museum and Gallery is actually one of the largest going around. There's more than 10,000 photographs there dating back to 1848.
1: It would take you a while to see ten
0: thousand photographs, Chris. Yeah, they're not all on display at any one time, but there, are, there are there are there are numerous collections in there. There's a, there's a, a Ray Barnes collection which includes um, uh, not just the photographs, but it also includes photographic equipment. Uh, uh, f- from the 1850s right through to the 1950s. Uh, there are there are other collections reflecting the mining heritage of Tasmania and, and early life in there. And the thing that really, t- that really tickled my eye when I was there were the glass plates. And I don't know whether you've seen glass plate photography, but to see hundreds and hundreds of glass plates and paper prints that get made from them uh, absolutely incredible. So uh, the, there are many other collections in the uh, in, in TMAG, as they call it, uh, including geology and the Tasmanian Herbarium. So if you're after something that's closer to the centre of Hobart, uh, the Tasmanian Museum and Art Gallery, I highly recommend it. For, for it's something you could spend you can do a brief visit, or you can spend quite some time there, depending on on what you want to do. And then you know what's just around the corner? What's that? The Lark Distillery.
1: No, <laughs> you are in your element. Oh, yes, good man, uh, folks. For those people who haven't listened to these podcasts before, I like my food and I like my drink, but I'm not. I don't drink alcohol. Not not because, quite frankly, I never acquired a taste for it. So I wasn't one of these kids at school that you know. Well basically sequestered a little little nip here and there i I never got into it but you can you can do this for both of us chris
0: well in 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 the early 1990s uh, bill lark decided um, everything you actually need to make whiskey like no other Mm -hmm. is actually available in tasmania think about it i don't know what the first thing you think actually what is it tell me what's the first if i was to say whiskey what's the first thing that comes to your mind what would you think of first well, I actually, I th- I
1: know this sounds silly, but it's it's because I've already been there. I actually think of Edinburgh. I don't know why,
0: well, but I do. Funnily enough, you go to Edinburgh, so there you've got uh, beautiful clear water. You've got yes. uh, You've got peat marshes or peat bogs. Mm-hmm. You've got a cool climate, and you can grow barley nearby. Right. That's what you need to make whiskey. And Bill Lark. Now there are numerous, there are numerous. Um, Distilleries operating in, in in southern parts of Australia now, but Bill Lark, I think, was the first of them, and he it took him a long time to get it to get it through because uh, it had been over 150 years since the, uh, the last licensed Tasmanian, Tasmanian distillery had closed up. Uh, but he has done it, and he has it right... And it's right on the edge of Constitution Dock, so it is very, very easy to find. In fact, he's in a very clever location because if you're wandering back to your cruise ship or you're wandering down to check out the dock, you sort of go past on your way through. And what he is doing, he is producing quality stuff. Now, when I say quality stuff... It means that it's not going to be cheap, and I don't—I I mean that in, in, with the greatest respect, because he actually does—he uh, does single malts, and the single malt is about as good as it gets. And they—they're they're, there are two different types. There's the regular forty-three percent alcohol, or there's the uh, stronger one, which was north of fifty-five, but I can't remember exactly the number of it. And he also does periodic releases as well. Um, and I still have a bottle of of his single malt sitting in my cupboard, which reminds me that I should probably go and get it out before it gets too long, uh, 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 too late in the year for me to start Whisky enjoying it. Is your favourite favourite uh, sort of alcohol, alcoholic beverage? It varies. <laughs> it depends oh, okay. on the time of year. Right. Uh, you know, during winter, and I, I and I I will confess to being when it comes to 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 scotch and to whiskey to being a bit of a snob, uh, and you know I I will drink. Oh, look, I, I will drink cheap whiskey mixed with something, but but if you get get a little bit further up the chain, I won't even like to put ice in it. I, I have some frozen rocks, little cubes of soapstone that that live in my freezer, uh, oh, and they they help to take the take the, the temperature down just a little bit uh, of my what whiskey. What is it
1: that you do for colds? You know, is it, I've I've got no idea. I genuinely don't pay any attention to this. But do, do, what sort of alcoholic beverage do you sort of take to take the edge off? Is that whiskey or is that something else? If, if I have a cold. Well, not just you, but, I mean, the Uh, the old... My wives so, tale about some. Uh, some, some
0: people will go for a, some people will go for a, for a whiskey of some sort. Some people will go for a rum. Uh, me, I, I have I have a concoction that does a, that may may or may not include a, a, a dash of whiskey, but I'll tell you, there'll only ever be the cheap stuff in there. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: But what what I will recommend for anyone going to the to the Lark Distillery, in addition to taking on the tour, and the tours are available, they are very popular. Uh, if you don't have time for a tour, you can do a tasting uh, at at the bar, and they will give you uh, small. A half nips of various whiskies and you can choose them from the from from the list and there are local and uh, and imported whiskies available there uh, and there is something that tastes very much like uh, like angel's milk it is uh, called slonte or slonge it is uh, it is an australian whisky liqueur and it is it is basically the the lark single malt whisky and then it's further stilled, as if I've got the the manufacturing process right, with with uh, herbs and spices to to give it a bit of spiciness, a, a slightly sweeter taste, uh, and something that if you are a whiskey drinker, even if you're not, it's the kind of thing you have. For, like say, have a, a bitter coffee after dinner, and then then just a wee drop of Slonje uh, to, uh, to to see you home at the end of the night. So, herbs and spices like KFC, eh? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you heathen.
1: <laughs> no, like, you I know. So you heathen. I couldn't resist. I, you're sort of waxing poetic. I love it. Go for it, sir. It sounds like a grand place. And, I mean, for those people who, who would like to check it out, I mean, overall, what we've spoken about in the last couple of weeks, uh, Tassie and Hobart, and I, I suppose that, look, the, the pristine wilderness, that side of things as well, there are fewer and fewer places on Earth this is on our back in our backyard, right, literally, for, for a lot of Australians. It's just worth checking out. I mean, you don't have to say any more than that. Uh, and often what's in our own back doorstep we tend to ignore and we, we sort of go overseas because it's cheaper to go overseas often than many other places. Tassie doesn't have to be an expensive holiday. It's a, it's a nice weekend break. It's nice to have a, a few days away, and that, that's how I view, view Tassie and that's how I view Hobart.
0: Indeed, and I I know that I've just spoken about the Lark Distillery, but I believe there's now about a dozen distilleries working across Tasmania, and probably unlike most other places outside of Scotland, they actually work... A little bit together, so you can take on the Tasmanian Whiskey Trail, if you like, and that's probably, if you want to branch off into your own Voyage of Discovery there, I would highly recommend the website for that, because that's what we used, and although we only went to one, uh, it's certainly a trick I'm going to make later with someone else driving. Uh, Taz Whiskey Trail, that's whiskey with no Y. TazWhiskeyTrail.com is, uh, is, is where to go to find out more, and while there are some people who will say that you can only spell whiskey without a Y, Oh, sorry. With with a Y and with no lie, E. Yeah. yeah uh, some people say Scotland is the only place that whiskey can be spelt with a Y and no E. Uh, Tasmania chooses to differ, and why not? I say, let them.
1: Let them. Hang on. You and I. You know, how often are you going to be wrong? Come on. You You and I have spoken about about the use of language. You know, Chris's farm. S S S S at the end of Chris. You know, why can't you be wrong one more time? I say, my friend. It's been a pleasure and a delight. Let's keep chatting. And, folks, catch us next time on Travel First.
0: You've been listening to Travel First. For more, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter.
1: Subscribe to the full podcast at Audioboom, Stitcher and iTunes or your
0: favourite podcast distributor.
1: This has been another quality podcast production
0: from bikes.com.